Hello and welcome to Social Work Study Sessions. I'm Miranda Barker and today I wanted to talk to you about narrative therapy. Narrative therapy is another therapy modality and it really works well hand in hand with solution focused therapy which I featured on my podcast last week. So narrative therapy, just a brief overview, it was started by Michael White in Australia who started the Dolwich Center. And Dolwich Center is still around and they have a lot of really great online trainings that I really highly recommend. But some of the main ideas around narrative therapy that you'll want to know is, number one, the client is not the problem, the problem is the problem. And that whole idea of externalizing the problem uh, and asking questions like, how does the problem affect you, your job, your ideas of yourself, your relationship? And it's all about kind of separating the person from the problem. So rather than talking about dad's drinking problem, we might be talking about when alcohol takes a hold of him. So it's kind of shifting the language that we use around the problem. Another example might be um, helping an insecure woman shift to seeing herself struggle against self-criticism. So we're no longer calling her an insecure woman. That's not really part of her identity. She's a woman who is struggling with self-criticism and so we're kind of like personifying the problem in a way and it helps uh, especially like family members understand the problem better and and not just constantly see the person as the problem uh, so other examples might be anorexia convinces her to starve herself or fear makes him do that so you might want to ask him when he's able to stand up to fear and that kind of brings us into the next part of narrative therapy practice, which is exceptions. So we talked about exceptions to the problem in our solution-focused podcast, but in narrative therapy uses something similar, but they call them sparkling events. So you might ask a question like, have there been times when your daughter didn't believe the lies that anorexia tells her about her body? Or can you remember a time that fear tried to take you over, but you didn't let it? How did you do that? And then by using those sparkling events, those exceptions to when they're able to defeat the problem, that kind of helps pave a way forward. Another example question you might ask is, when the tantrums convince James to yell and scream, do you think your reactions give the tantrums more or less fuel? So you kind of see how we are trying to see the problems differently and um, kind of separate them from the person. Another main idea of narrative therapy is this reconstruction and then a new constructive view. So we might be reconstructing clients' problem-saturated stories and then opening up space for new constructive views of themselves. Through this narrative practice, we also might be addressing society's negative narratives like sexism or racism. One way that you can reinforce a client's new story is by having the client contact people who can confirm or add examples of times that the client withstood the problem. So in narrative therapy, we call these supportive witnesses. In your narrative therapy practice, it's really important to use the client's language when they're talking about the problem or the, the issues that they're struggling with. Um, and it's also important to make it clear that you're on the client's side against the difficulties that have been making a mess, the mess of the problem. You also want to make sure to highlight the client's strengths. I wanted to briefly share an example um, that I got from 
Alice Morgan's book, which is called What is Narrative Therapy? Uh, this book actually has the first chapter of it is available through the Dolwich Center's website, and so I'm just going to be reading part of it from that. But I think that it gives a really good example and context for why narrative therapy is really beneficial and, and helpful. So Alice Morgan wrote, I could have a story about myself as a good driver. This means that I could string together a number of events that have happened to me while driving my car. I could put these events together with others in a particular sequence and interpret them as a demonstration of me being a good driver. I might think about and select out for the telling of my story events such as stopping at the traffic lights, giving way to pedestrians, obeying the speed limits, incurring no fines, and keeping a safe distance behind other vehicles. To form this story about my ability as a driver, I'm selecting out certain events as important that fit within this particular plot. In doing so, these events are privileged over others. As more and more events are selected and gathered into this dominant plot of me being a good driver, the story gains richness and thickness. As it gains thickness, other events of my driving competence are easily remembered and added to the story. Throughout this process, the story thickens and becomes more dominant in my life, and it's increasingly easy for me to find more examples of events that fit with the meaning that I've reached. These events of driving competence that I'm remembering and selecting out are elevated in their significance over other events that do not fit within the plot of being a good driver. For instance, the times when I pulled out too quickly from the curb or misjudged the distances when parking my car, are, those are not being privileged. They might be seen as insignificant or maybe a fluke in the light of the dominant plot, the story of driving competence. In the retelling of stories, there are always events that are not selected based upon whether or not they fit within the dominant plots. In this example, perhaps I can, perhaps why I can attend only to the good events and have managed to construct a story of being a competent driver is due also to the reflections of others. If family members and friends have always described me as a good driver, this would have made a significant difference. Stories are never produced in isolation from the broader world. Perhaps in my example, I was never subjected to diminishing remarks on the basis of my gender. Who knows? The dominant story of my driving abilities will not only affect me in the present, but will also have implications for my future actions. For example, if I'm asked to drive to a new suburb or drive a long distance at night, my decision and plans will be influenced by the dominant story that I have about my driving. I would probably be more inclined to consider doing these things when influenced by a story I have about myself as being a good driver than if I had a story about myself as being a dangerous or accident-prone driver. Therefore, the meanings I give to these events are not neutral in their effects on my life. They will constitute and shape my life in the future. All stories are constructive of life and shape our lives. When I first read this excerpt, it just made me think about what sort of narratives and dominant stories about my own life am I holding on to? And then in turn, what sort of dominant stories are my clients holding on to? And I think that is really the true core of narrative therapy and kind of digging into those dominant stories, looking at what our clients are viewing as the problems in their stories, and then trying to reconstruct those dominant stories so that they can move forward. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to my overview of narrative therapy today. If you have any amazing stories of how narrative therapy has helped you in your practice, I would love to hear them. My email is Miranda at itsmiranda.com. That's M-I-R-A-N-D-A at 
it's itsmiranda.com. Thanks. Have a great day.